0: Today's episode is brought to you by No Boring Design. Wow, what a name. No, we know this team well. We've brought them in to help with a number of engagements when design becomes a bottleneck for shipping campaigns quickly. Uh, Also when design is boring, right? A lot of B2B status quo becomes boring and it doesn't have to be. So we bring this team in, they level up the quality design and they remove design as a bottleneck to ship campaigns, content, product marketing assets. You name it, if it needs a design and you're hung up on it, this team can help. Um, somehow they managed to do this. I think their price point starting out is 2,500 a month uh, obviously goes up from there, but what a great resource. We've seen them firsthand do great work with Dropbox, Yelp, a number of our big clients they've been a part of. so. Check them out, noboringdesign.com. Noboringdesign.com. Welcome to Season 3 of Best in SaaS, where we talk through patterns and playbooks in the revenue sprint to 100 million in ARR and beyond with the industry's most accomplished executives, entrepreneurs, and investors. Season 3 is brought to you by ChargeBee. ChargeBee helps SaaS businesses of all sizes maximize their growth potential and revenue with a leading global subscription management platform that delivers fast time to value plus exceptional service and support. Learn more at chargebee.com All righty, it's, uh, it's Friday, it's the Friday right before the big 4th of July weekend. Of course, you're listening to this, it's long gone, long past. but. Uh, I'm excited that Chris said yes on this Friday to come on the show. Chris Kohler is the CMO at Box and uh, man, you've had an impressive career. You were head of go to market product marketing, cut your teeth at Adobe. It looks like over 10 years and a bunch of other great organizations before that. So hey, welcome to the show, Chris.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting career, uh, and I've been fortunate enough to, to be part of some amazing brands, and uh, just quite quite frankly, I've been lucky along along the way. So
0: one of the things that that strikes me about your background is you have quite a bit of experience across a number of different. Disciplines. I mean, I see CS. I see product marketing. I see product solutions consulting. I mean, you've you've really held some real positions in a bunch of different groups. How how do you think that that has led you to where you are today as a CMO?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's been it's been the way I described it is very deliberate. Um, around that. And part of it is just a philosophy of the generalist versus specialist. And, you know, I'm, I'm of the mindset that, uh, you know, generalists can bring an interesting perspective to the world. And so I've, I've seeked out different opportunities to, to learn as a, as I've gone along the way. And, and I've been fortunate enough to be able to be given opportunities that quite frankly, I wasn't, uh, uh, I wasn't uh, qualified to do, but you know, with a, this mindset of like, figure it out, learn, ask a ton of questions, hire really great people. I've been lucky enough to, um, you know, be fairly successful around that. But I think that the, as a marketer, it gives me a different appreciation um, of the different roles. And and uh, you know, if you've been in a sales leader's shoes and you've been part of that organization and you know the pressure that they're in, and it's a quarterly, especially for public companies this sort of quarterly sprint, uh, monthly, and quarterly sprint, then you have a just a different appreciation and a partnership with them. Whereas, you know, too often I've seen this sort of friction between sales and marketing and it's like, hey, you need to give me more leads and hey, you need to go close more of what we're giving to you. Like uh, we don't like a box, Mark, our CRO and I, like we have a great working relationship because we understand each other and, and we can appreciate that. So I think as a marketer, having that generalist Sort of belief and and sat in the different roles just you know gives me a better appreciation for you know those those individuals and i think helps me become a a better marketer to be honest definitely
0: i'm curious so you know how are you thinking through with that background i think that's a unique background to approach problem solving from how are you thinking through customer journey these days, right? Because you have this perspective on all aspects of the customer journey.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there's, there's often this belief that sort of marketing plays at the, at the top of the funnel down and, and then hands that off to sales to get the deals done. And then CS is responsible for, you know, making sure that they drive adoption around that. But because I have a slightly different perspective, I think marketers are in a really, really good position to help facilitate that entire customer journey. Um, you know, And so one of the things that we've pivoted over the last, I don't know, 18 months to two years is we're thinking about, we have the tools, we have the expertise, we can create those journeys, both in a digital and and in a physical uh, format. Uh, Who else is positioned better to think through that? I think marketing is, but it is a transformation. It's a change management with marketers when it's not about, hey, I got to think about building pipeline for this event. It's like, well, you got to think about pipeline, but you also need to think about are you are you educating your existing customers? Because a lot of our revenue comes from existing customers and our cross-sell and upsell. And are they aware of the capabilities um, that that we have, this innovation that we've been driving? And so it's a mindset shift that we think about the, that entire customer lifecycle. And then the other thing that I talk a lot about with my team is just what are the key metrics of the business? And we, we think about how do I partner with sales to go drive revenue? How do sales and I you know partner with pipeline? How do I think about adoption? How do we think about retention? And so as a marketing leader, I talk about that at a leadership level. All of those metrics matter across the business. Um, we're not just there to build pipe. We're there to help run the business and be a growth engine for the
0: company. I love that. I'm, I'm curious on a more tactical level, like what are some of the tools that you've developed in your tool chest that... Are kind of downwind of that so how how tactically are you tightening that partnership and staying in touch and and making sure the communication's there do you have any kind of like golden nuggets that you can come back to with your team there's been a few and we've had a lot of
1: success so we uh, you know we i i i sort of a sponsor this what we call our digital strategy project that has a couple different um pillars around it one is just we have a freemium and an e-commerce uh component that we've got to go drive you know revenue um in the business um, we also, you know, have to think about the digital journey across all of our properties. But, but lastly, we have a really strong partnership with the product organization because we are we are seat based for the most part, seat based, you know, uh, solution. And so we've partnered really closely with product where we've looked at a lot of the usage data. We've looked at uh, sort of historical retention rates of those users, and then we've partnered really closely together around what's that onboarding experience look like. How do we gamify that when someone the first use of Box? What are the three or four actions that we've got to get them to do in the first week that actually will get them hooked and u- using our product over the next, you know, next year plus? So we've we've actually worked with the product organization to build that out. But that only works is if they're actually in product. And so then we, we couple that with our customer marketing strategy around, okay, what does that onboarding experience? How do I pull them into the product? What are the hooks? What's the compelling reason for them to, to actually get into the product? So we've had a lot of success around this um, over the last, I'd say six months, where we're changing the trajectory of we're getting people to actually utilize the capabilities that, that their organization has purchased. And we believe it'll have a long-term retention, you know, effect. But then that allows us to cross-sell and upsell them additional products, additional plans as well. So it's just one example of really, really tight partnership with the product organization. Um, again, that you don't always see from marketing and product, you know, playing hand in hand together um, to facilitate that journey.
0: No, oh, that's really cool to hear that you have it so dialed there. I'm curious. Kind of back to the sales and marketing, something that I know is top of mind for a lot of the marketing leaders I've been talking with is this, you know, what's happening to events? Are we going back? Is it going to be hybrid? And, and I I selfishly ask this question also because we're one of our portfolio companies that we help grow is Hopin. And so we're, you know, thinking through this with them and for them on the demand gen side. I'm curious, you know, as the CMO of a publicly traded company, how are you and your CRO and leadership thinking through events? Yeah, and, and I know Anthony over at
1: Oppen um, uh, as well. And so uh, I think it, it it will be a world of of hybrid regardless, right? What we've seen over the last you know 15 18 months is uh, digital events just provide a reach and a scale that you just don't get with a purely, you know, in-person only event. So I think uh, in the ROI, it has been there, right? The cost of the cost of doing these events is just, you know, on an order of magnitude uh, cheaper. But what you what you're missing, and I and I know what we're all trying to figure out is how do you drive engagement um, at time of event and and work through that. So. Uh, I, I think we're going to be in a situation where some of the things that we're thinking through is how do we do a combination of in-person and broadcast you know, digitally so that you can you can build that sort of intimate experience for the customers that you want to engage with and prospects that you want to engage with, but you also want to be able to broadcast and, and share the, the content with the world to, to basically get the most exposure and reach. So we're working through that. I think um, uh, what, I, what I've been surprised at is how quickly some of the large scale in-person events seem to be roaring back. <laughs> and I, I think there was this perception um, sort of early in the pandemic as everyone did these digital events, like, oh my gosh, these large scale events are dead. Like no one's ever going to go to them again. And, and companies aren't going to be able to justify the ROI because our people are people going to show up? Um, but what we're, I think we're, we will quickly learn is they're coming back um, you know, as marketers, how do you balance that? You know, in person experience that people are craving, but also, you know, get the reach where not everyone's going to be traveling like they did they did before. So, I think it'll be an interesting combination. Um, I think we're gonna there's going to be a lot of test and learn this fall of what's working, what's not working. Is there this um, the thing that I I wonder about is there is this pent up demand that everyone wants to go and get back in person and do these things? But once they do it, you know, is it the same or are they really, you know, are they going to do the same thing next year? Or they said, Hey, that was great. Digital's fine. Um, I don't need to be traveling to Orlando or Vegas or San Francisco or wherever it is, you know, that all these uh, large scale events are held. I think that's a, that's still a question to be seen that I think we're all struggling with.
0: I'm I'm wondering in the beginning of your, your, your kind of thoughts on this topic, you were talking about how maybe the there's this hybrid element where, You have higher value folks coming in for a more intimate. So it's it's almost like shifting it from a, hey, let's get as many people to come in as possible to like, this is almost more of an account-based strategy where we're bringing in our top named accounts, reps get to invite them, yada, yada, yada. And then for everyone else, they get the hybrid piece.
1: Yeah, it's almost like to some degree when how Apple has launched a lot of their their products, where it's like intimate group of people that are there in person, but you're broadcasting to the world um, around that, and and they they've sort of mastered that, um, and and I think that's the that's the piece that I think we're all trying to figure out is what would that look like, and then what what becomes really interesting is the production value of these events has raised like exponentially over the last year i I remember sort of early in the pandemic as everyone was switching towards you know digital conferences and events it was okay right you could you could be in your home you could have the bed in the background everyone was fine Um, but i think now the expectation is raised where it's almost like i want sort of uh uh you know um you know broadcast quality of these events is where i'm going to get engaged And, and i think there's an interesting flow uh that the monologues for 20 plus minutes of, of old when you have people captured uh that that is getting sort of played out as well and so you have to keep it fresh and engaging and switching things up and you know we've got our big event coming up in october and and we're trying to figure out what is that secret sauce of how do you keep people engaged and how do you get them to show up um as well because that's that's a lot of the challenge with digital only events is you can get registration but getting people day of is really hard um, but the good thing is it's, it's sort of evergreen content that you can use, um, as you record all of it.
0: All right. So before we get on to the second half of this episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our close friends over at Mattermade. For those of you who don't know them, Mattermade helps some of the fastest growing B2B SaaS companies drive revenue as an extension of their marketing teams. We're talking companies like Dropbox, Calm, Loom, Product Board, and many others who trust Mattermade to help them drive their marketing and demand gen initiatives. You can check out their seemingly endless supply of case studies over at mattermade.co. Now let's get back to the episode. So one thing I want to talk about because you're so product aware and interested and invested based on your background is this shift we're seeing to more sales assist motions and more talk of PLG? I'm curious at Box how you're thinking about that in general. And I know traditionally Box has been a very sales kind of AE heavy organization. How do you how do you think about that moving forward? Yeah. And it,
1: I think it's I think it's going to be a mix, right? And and one of the things that we're trying to build. Uh, is uh, helping our sellers with more what we we call a rep-assisted buy that allows them to you know, facilitate some of these tra- transactions in a much, more, a much more streamlined, faster way, uh, whether that's adding additional seats or moving up to a different tariff from a product perspective. Um, so I think you're going to see... Uh, there will be different buyer types where you know buyers are. I, I will continue to say this: they are more educated than ever because so much information is available, and whether that's all the review sites or what you provide, you know, on your own website or just external uh, validation around this, that the days are are gone where you know where we go in and the seller and SEs and others sort of held. That information and and, and you know uh, around that. So I think what you're going to continue to see is as reps and and folks in front of customers have to really think about the business value and understand the use cases and really really understand their business. That uh, and then they're gonna we're gonna have to help them with tools to facilitate those sale those sales process faster. And uh, you know one of the things that we're working through is you know from in product motion, how do you make it super easy? Or someone to go add, hey, I want to go add 50 seats. I want to do that in product. I just want to hit a button, and you guys charge me for it. You know, I don't want to necessarily have to go and talk to a, a, a rep around going to do that. You know, to get that deal done, uh, I'd rather talk to a rep around our business process and how we're transforming and like how you guys play and best practices around that. Not, not the transactional component. So that's, I think that's going to you're going to start to see that uh, that shift quite a bit. Um, over time, and I think what you'll find is traditional B two B companies will are are going to move into more of a this sort of consumer enterprise because uh, customers are going to expect it. Um, quite frankly, so it'll be fun. It'll be fun to see you know the transformation over the next you know five or ten
0: years. It seems like it'll have positive effects too, because the AEs get to be more strategic or spend their time working through more strategic problem solving and and business value. And also you'll have a lot less flexibility potentially in the transaction piece of it. So discounting and then these things that may become less of a factor in some cases. um, Yeah, and and, and again, I think,
1: uh, you know, Everyone wants to go sell value and drive, you know, and drive that relationship and and feel like they're they're a business partner as part of that. And giving you the time to go do that with tools that sort of take the, the back end processing stuff up, I think is a is an exciting place to be as a you know as a as a seller. Um, and so, but you know, so but I think there's a there's a big opportunity for you know for businesses to provide those those tools for them. Um, quite frankly.
0: So shifting gears here, you know, you've had a fantastic career thus far, and and you seem to just keep building steam and and doing more amazing stuff. Who have been some of the folks in your career along your way who have been influential, whether mentors or just folks who have inspired you been there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, you know, I've obviously had, you know, quite a few mentors along the way that have that have. I think it's really interesting. A lot of mentors will tell you the things that you don't want to hear. Right. And, and I've had I've had a lot of mentors give me that that type of feedback that is super uncomfortable, but you know that they're right. And, you know, and, and, and those are the those are the best mentors like that. They, they're not telling you all the things that are great and why you're amazing and all that. You know, they, you have that relationship where they can get to a point and say, you know what? I know you have aspirations for this role. I know you would like to do that, but you're not you're not ready. And here's why. And um, I had, you know, quite a few folks at at, at Adobe um, along the way that, uh, that that gave me that feedback. It was really really hard um, to hear, but in hindsight, they're right. You know, they were right. I like I didn't maybe have the operational discipline um, or hold people as accountable as I needed to uh, from their lens. And you know, giving me that that feedback along the way helped me become a better leader. Um, and 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 learn to take that guidance uh, along the way. But they also, you know, I, I had several leaders that, that gave me an opportunity to do things that quite frankly, I wasn't, I wasn't fully qualified to do. Um, and they took a bet on you, right? And they said, hey, you're smart, I've seen what you've done over here. Can you go replicate what you've done here in a different discipline um, and go figure it out and uh, and had that confidence that, that I would? And so I'm, I'm extremely uh, fortunate to have quite a few of those um, those mentors that gave me that opportunity to go do that. And then the same thing at box, right? I mean, you know, I came in, uh, to run the customer success organization and help transform that with Aaron, our CEO and, and Steph, our COO. Uh, and as we, we were a year in, we were looking for a CMO and, and I said, Hey, like, this is what I want to go do. And I've never been a CMO, right? Uh, I was in a, a more of a go to market GM, you know, ish type role of, of helping grow the creative business. And at Adobe, I was in a lot of customer facing roles. Where I I engage with a lot of senior marketing leaders, but I hadn't it, at, at the scale. I hadn't been there, and and so they said, "Well, listen, like you can do this, right? We have faith that you can go figure it out." Um, and uh, they took a bet on me. And it's two years later, and I think I'm doing okay, uh, but I'm learning a ton, and you know, and and figuring it out
0: as we go, right? Love it. My last question for you is is a personal one. Uh, I'm just curious, you know, how what is it that you do? in your personal life outside of work that keeps your head clear, keeps you fresh so that when you are at work, you're, you're the best version of yourself.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think for me, a huge, huge part of, I think there's two, two components and I've learned this over time. Uh, sleep is critically important. Right. And, and I think too, too often people see it as a badge of honor is like, Oh my God, I only got five hours of sleep last night. It's like, man, that's not good. Like you actually need to have sleep uh and then the second one is uh which i i call nature therapy is getting out and doing stuff um you know especially over this last 18 months like getting into nature getting away i love to ski and hike and mountain bike and um and do all of that and and that gives me an opportunity literally just to clear my head um and some of my best ideas are you know if i'm on a ride and all of a sudden you know I, I wasn't even thinking about it but something popped in my head and i'm like oh wow that's pretty interesting and it, it's just it gives me that clarity of focus and 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 do all that so that's for me is i describe it as nature therapy getting out and, and doing stuff uh regardless of what it is uh helps me clear my head and uh luckily i've got a family that that loves to do that as well uh so uh we're we're a very adventurous family
0: did you guys get any good uh, backcountry lines in this past season? No, it, I mean, it. it if you uh,
1: anyone followed, I, you know, I live in Park City, Utah, and in, in Utah this year uh, because of a really, really slow uh, season, it was very dangerous uh, backcountry skiing. We actually had a few avalanches that happened right outside the the boundaries in Park City. Wow. Unfortunately, uh, a few fatalities as part of that. So that was one where we're like, you know what not worth it not worth it uh there's enough uh park city mountain is uh, big enough that we can you know we can go off and and learn uh the different areas to you know to get away from the crowds but uh no 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 lines this year but we'll we'll see over
0: the next couple of years hopefully the snow uh we get a much bigger year uh this year fingers crossed i'm right there with you well chris this has been fun uh thanks for thanks for taking the time on a friday before this yes. long weekend to, to nerd out on marketing with me of course and thanks for having me and enjoy the long
1: weekend Thank you. All right, cheers.